T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back. I'm Megan Lynch. We're going to talk in this segment about your financial health for 2022 and the fact that some of us may be paying a lot more for checking account fees than we realize and maybe paying a lot more than other people. Joining us is Mark Hamrick. He's the Washington Bureau Chief and Senior Economic Analyst at Bankrate.com. Mark, thanks for joining us this evening. Great to be with you, Megan. Happy New Year. Great to be on the mighty KMOX. Great way to start off the year for me, so I'm very grateful for that. Well, good. Well, we appreciate you joining us. You know, when I saw this report, I was a little surprised because – for my generation, I don't ever remember paying very much or anything at all for checking accounts. Um, but now it looks like some younger generations are paying quite a bit a month um, just to hold a checking account. So tell us a little bit about the research that you did there. Sure. Well, and leaving aside your generation uh, for the purposes of discussion, uh, you know, I think that this is a, a this should be a concern for anyone, to be honest, because uh, I, what we find at bank rate is that the majority of individuals pay very little for uh, their uh, banking and checking accounts broadly. But the problem is that uh, there there is a group of people out there, and I, I don't mean it's a single group. It's it's a part. It's parts of the population end up really paying more than they should. And, you know, so we do sort of two sets of work on this. In, in the fall, we do we survey basically the banking uh, and financial services industry to find out uh, where, for example, things like overdraft fees are, and, and those hit a record in the latest uh, check, uh, averaging $33.58 a hit. So if you get hit with more than you know, one of those in, in a year can really add up. And even uh, ATM fees uh, may be higher than many people think. And so uh, when people are looking at all of these, uh, they can really add up. And so when we were basically surveying across the landscape, we found that um, all, everyone with a checking account, when we survey across that landscape, uh, the average fees they pay in a given month are around $8. But here's where the problems begin. Members of Generation Z, and we're talking there about those 18 to 25, they're averaging $19 a month. Uh, whereas uh, the most senior members of our population, uh, we call that the silent generation, which is now at 77 years and up, they're averaging only $1.32. So they're doing pretty darn well keeping these fees minimized. And so, you know, we come back to the idea, you know, about you know, obviously a lot of people have New Year's resolutions and sometimes that 
uh, focus can be on physical health, trying to lose weight, get in shape. Uh, these days, because of the pandemic, uh, you know, we prioritize mental health, and for good reason. Uh, that's one thing. But we also want to try to prioritize our financial health. And you know, we found over over the years at Bankrate, the number one financial regret on the part of Americans is the failure to save for emergencies and the failure to save for retirement. Well, that gets even more difficult if you're parting with all this money uh, and ultimately paying unnecessary, unnecessarily high uh, fees uh, with the financial services providers that you're working with. Yeah, when we look at that Gen Z group, that 18 to 25-year-olds, and even the millennials who are paying around $15 a month, according to the survey that you did, you know, that's a, that's significant every month. When I think of what that could go toward um, in someone's budget, especially maybe, you know, for some of those individuals, probably their earnings aren't that great at this point in their lives. Very well said. Uh, you know, again, these are some of the most financially fragile individuals in our society. They're early in their lives earlier in their career path, early in their sort of financial lives. And uh, these are very often the same people who, you know, suffer the most if they are dealing with a period of unemployment or an interruption in income in the household, suffering the most if they have an emergency expense, which we tend to define as $1,000 or more. Uh, And we're also, as we all know, operating in an environment right now where inflation uh, has been a primary concern on the part of consumers. My own sense and what economists tell us is is that may relent by the second half of the year, but that means we may have to still deal with it at least for the first half of the year. And so all these things end up costing us. And if we're in a less robust position financially, that means that we ought to prioritize if we can the opportunity to avoid these unnecessary charges. You know, do we have a checking account that has no or low fees? How do we avoid overdraft fees? Well, by having a savings account from which we can draw funds when we have our mobile alerts activated that say, hey, you know, you've got 25 bucks in your bank account or your checking account and you're about to have a payment of 30 to hit it and so it's it's time to start moving money. I realize that's not always the easiest thing thing to do. Uh, I, you know, started out in my career, you know, many, many years ago, and and I I know what struggling financially is like, but I think I wish that someone had told me that uh, when I was working and living with my parents as a kid, I could have been saving more money and maybe create that savings account so I wouldn't have run into some of these same challenges that so many people now are experiencing these days. Now, Mark, can we say that this is financial institutions taking advantage of these younger generations, or is it just that maybe these younger generations aren't doing those things you're talking about and, you know, trying to get the most of what their financial institution might offer? Uh, You know, I'm hesitant to try to characterize it in in the negative uh, framework simply because, uh, you know, one chooses to do business with an institution that one chooses to do business with. And essentially, you have to give the green light to a financial institution to charge you an overdraft fee. It is the convenience of not basically um, of, of trying to keep the financial wheels turning. But, you know, our argument is it's very simple to overcome. Uh, all you have to do is, is have a savings account, have some funds in that, and, and avoid uh, overspending. And, you know, it, it can happen, you know, unintentionally. 
but it's unnecessary. And so what I would say is that, you know, we know that, you know, we've, one of the things we've learned from the pandemic is we didn't have much of a social safety net. Uh, and that's why we saw, you know, shockingly, uh, heartbreakingly long uh, lines for food. It wasn't people, you know, outside buildings like it was in the Great Depression. It was mostly people lined up in automobiles. And, and so that is a call to action on the part of individuals is, you know what, you sort of have to create your own social safety net, uh, not knowing that the government is, is going to come to our aid. Yeah, maybe private charity uh, can help us, but we have to kind of try to own this ourselves. And we choose to do business with these entities. We choose to write checks or have electronic payments, not so many printed checks anymore. But um, you know, my advice would just be try to prioritize saving this year. You know, the typical advice, and it's a it, it's a high hurdle, is to try to have three to six months worth of expenses in the bank. And if you've already you know come close to that or even nearing it, you know, make sure that we, we need to walk and chew gum at the same time, and that means saving for retirement as well. Mark, I think another interesting part of this survey that Bankrate did was looking at how long we do stick with bank accounts and with maybe our original financial institution. I, I shouldn't be surprised by it because in our family, we've pretty much done the same thing, uh, even as these banks have changed hands uh, over the years. Tell us a little bit about what, what you learned from the survey. I appreciate the question because uh, this is the thing that probably uh, made me the most surprised in, in working with this data. And this is sort of the second round of doing this survey in two years, and, and we had a comparable answer last year. And so the question really is, how long have you had uh, your account open at either um, a bank or a credit union or, or, or something along those lines? And essentially the answer was, wait for it, 17 years, okay? So uh, obviously if, if one is younger, the answer isn't 17 years, but, you know, it's longer if one is older. Uh, and I would say that, you know what, if, if you're achieving your financial objectives, if you haven't had, let's say, new uh, goals that you needed to achieve, whether it's something like saving for retirement, saving for a child's college education, perhaps through a 529 program, uh, maybe you needed or wanted to get a mortgage, refinance a mortgage, have a personal loan, an auto loan, a credit card. If you've been able to do all of those things, which typically um, a financially uh, qualified adult uh, is looking to accomplish, and you've been able to do that through the institutions you're working with, hey, you know what, uh, you check that box off, move on, go have some fun. But what I would say also is that, you know, the landscape has changed, I would say, quite incredibly over the last 10 to 20 years, and the Internet isn't that old. And between uh, the emergence of the Internet, smartphone or mobile technology, which I think is critically important to monitoring where our account balances are and, 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 and activating those mobile alerts so that we know that if our balance gets down to a certain level or, or if there's money moving through the accounts, we want to know what's happening because sometimes there is the issue of fraud that's no fault of our own. We need to know those things. And, and some of the entities that are out there uh, have more robust technology than others. So you know, the landscape has changed a lot. You know, the, the likes of the iPhone have changed the landscape a lot. Uh, and the other part is that uh, as one who grew up in the Midwest myself, you know, I can think about uh, the time when I was quite young where I would never have thought uh, 
about doing business with a financial institution that uh, didn't have a, a branch in my community. And that may well be a priority for some people, as they indicated in our survey it was, but it need not be, at least not for all the firms that you're doing business with. And it may be that you want to have one that has a branch and, and do business with another for another purpose, and I'm all in favor of that. But uh, the, the days when we could only do business with those kinds of financial service institutions are long gone, and that means that we have more opportunity to choose, we have greater innovation, greater competition, and those things are uh, really good for consumers. How much of it is just we don't want the headache of trying to switch those accounts? Because I, I don't know that it's difficult, but it's probably time consuming, I would think. Well, it is. Uh, and in fact, uh, 2% of those we asked on the checking account question said, frankly, and this is what the answer was, I don't have the time to research or shop for other options. Uh, one, uh, 10% said that it would be too much of a hassle to switch. And 17% had something that was sort of in between, which was, it's the account I've always had. Uh, which I don't know that that's a great answer, but uh, that, you know I like the answers in terms of maybe being a little more reasonable along the lines of 13% saying they do have a convenient branch or ATM location, 6% said they like their online or mobile tools, 6% said they like the reputation, uh, 24%, and this really uh, gets us where we uh, live and thrive at Bankrate, they have no or low monthly fees, 3% said they have good interest rates, which you'd presume is either for interest-bearing checking or uh, for savings accounts. So, um, you know, I think these days there obviously is a lot vying for our attention, uh, whether it's, you know, too much uh, audio uh, programming to take in, whether it's uh, too much uh, streaming content to take in, too many places to uh, order takeout food. But if it's something that actually enhances our life by giving us the ability to save more money or avoid unnecessary costs, I would argue that that's a pretty good return on investment. And yes, if you've got automatic, let's say, monthly payments through utilities like the electric company or uh, your internet provider that you need to make some uh, switches in terms of the uh, account numbers, yes, you will have to do that. But in the end, if you're saving money, uh, you'll be able to do more to accomplish your goals. And, and ultimately, I think that's what we all need to do. Mark, we need to take a break. That's Mark Hamrick with Bankrate.com. When we come back, Mark is going to stay with us, and we're going to talk about the monthly jobs report uh, that's due this week along with the weekly employment picture. And basically what this is going to do is wrap up 2021 for us so that we get a complete picture of the year in employment and joblessness as well. The number of jobs added, though, is expected to be much better than what we saw in November. So Mark's going to tell us more about that coming up next on KMOX. Well, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Mark Hamrick. He is with Bankrate.com. He's their senior economic analyst, also their Washington bureau chief. And so while I've got you, Mark, I want to speak with you about a couple of reports coming out this week. We've got the December jobs report coming out Friday, and then the weekly jobless claim numbers are going to come out Thursday. You know, the last numbers that we got in November were pretty disappointing. So what's the, the thought or the outlook on what we may see later this week? Yeah, this uh, tends to be one of the more closely followed economic releases, speaking about the Labor Department's monthly employment report. Uh, we actually got a couple of pretty good uh, teasers on this uh, in the last 24 to 36 hours, which I'll also 
uh, mention, and that is uh, the Labor Department generates another report that's got an increased level of attention was sort of like the number two story uh, in the last 24 hours, and that was that we uh, yet again had a record number of people quitting their jobs as of the last count in late November, and that number was 4.6 million. Quite astounding. The rate is 3% of the workforce quitting, and the number is 4.6 million. There were 10.6 million job openings at the end of the month, fewer job openings in restaurants and hotels. Um, And, you know, we know that leisure and hospitality is still uh, greatly challenged by the ongoing pandemic. To your question about the monthly employment report, the expectation is that we'll do at least two times the previous monthly reading, which was for the month of November, came in on the disappointing side, which was in the neighborhood of 200,000 jobs in the current consensus for the December employment report. Obviously, we, you know, lag behind the current month by a month. Uh, The survey period for that, by the way, is the second week of December, which was a little before we've gotten some of the more discouraging information on the high level of uh, Omicron uh, cases. Uh, Not to go too much into that part of the story, but we do believe that's weighing on the economic recovery again, not unlike Delta. And so this report may not capture much of that. And in fact, on the encouraging side, uh, there is a private report that we got, um, you know, just hours before you and I talked, and that is from the payroll processing company ADP. And it essentially was a blowout number, which was more than 800,000 uh, jobs added to private payrolls on the month is pretty well distributed across uh, both sectors and small, medium, and large companies. That doesn't always relate or correlate well to the government's monthly report because they're different data collection processes and all that kind of stuff. But at least, I would say, gives us a reasonable uh, re- uh, level of confidence that the government's report should come in largely as expected, but we're always mindful of the fact that, uh, you know, like, let's say, watching a Cardinals baseball game, we have to get the game uh, played on the field before we know what the outcome is. We have to wait for these reports to get out before we know uh, what they're actually going to look like. And, oh, by the way, um, in November, we did have the unemployment rate nationally fall to 4.2%. The expectation here is that we may edge down just a bit to 4.1, and that compares to the pre-pandemic low, which was 3.5%. So the job market is regarded to be quite tight, and that's why so many employers are really struggling these days to, to uh, fill those open positions. Now, of course, you mentioned the uncertainty of the Omicron variant. Looking at um, our crystal balls, I suppose, for the year, you know, there's been a lot of talk of inflation, um, you know, forecast for what we could see for the year. It's it's a really hard to tell. Do we still believe that the Federal Reserve um, may raise interest rates this year? That's absolutely the expectation that the Fed will boost its benchmark rate by uh, two or three times this year. That would be a total of either uh, one half of one percent or three quarters of one percent, and that would be the exact impact on, for example, credit card rates, which average for well-qualified individuals around 16 percent, and they become more expensive for people uh, who uh, may not have as strong a credit record or a payment history. But, um, you know, the reality is that the Federal Reserve has basically achieved or come close to achieving its objective on improving the job market, not perfectly and and not entirely, but close because that unemployment rate in the low 4% range, uh, the Fed had recently targeted uh, 4% as essentially being where they think the job market would typically sort of be at full employment, 
even though we were at three and a half uh, before the pandemic. Uh, and so inflation is really uh, their number one uh, target to try to restrain. And it's lasted longer. It's been uh, more substantial than what the Federal Reserve officials had expected. And it really is hitting households hard. And, you know, the whole uh, issue of um, basically everything we have to pay for being more expensive ends up being a massive tax on the economy. Uh, and it's, it, you know, it's the primary issue on the minds of consumers in consumer sentiment or consumer confidence surveys. It's also a political problem. You know, I'm sitting here just a few blocks away from the White House, uh, and you know, Republicans are trying to seize upon it as, a, as an issue to leverage as we approach the midterm election. You know, people don't want to necessarily think about another round of elections coming up at this point, but it's looming in, in mid-November, and it's, it's going to occupy uh, more of the bandwidth uh, as we go forward. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just in the process of completing, or I should say publishing, our quarterly economist survey, and that'll be at bankrate.com here shortly. And, and one of the things that tells us is that economists do believe that the source of inflation, which is uh, pandemic-caused supply chain disruptions, that ought to relent in the second half of the year. But, of course, right now we're dealing with real problems with staffing across the economy because of people who are staying away from work and staying home and some being hospitalized um, because of COVID. And, uh, you know, so when I wrote a piece that appeared on our site and uh, I shared on LinkedIn and other uh, social media uh, destinations, when I asked, when I sought to sort of uh, enumerate in order what I think the chief issues for this coming year are for the economy, Number one is, unfortunately, COVID and the pandemic because, you know, whatever happens with that is going to shape the trajectory of the, of the economy and ultimately feed into individuals' uh, personal uh, finances. And then number two is inflation. Will inflation persist or will it relax its grip on the economy? That's going to really play a, a big role in individuals' personal finances, plays a role on profitability of corporations, on what happens with stock prices. And um, I think, you know, then because I do uh, work and live in the Washington, D.C. area, it's going to be part of the narrative one way or the other uh, for the November elections. Uh, of course, we don't know what happens exactly between now and then on a number of different fronts. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking so much time with us tonight uh, to talk both about the survey and about the economy. Really appreciate your time. My great pleasure. Really do appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that's Mark Hamrick, Senior Economic Analyst for Bankrate, joining us on KMOX. And coming up next, we are going to tow, go to Las Vegas, actually. We're going to go to the Consumer Electronics Show. Maybe you need a bird buddy. It's a smart bird feeder or a smart bathtub. We're going to tell you about some of the gadgets that are being introduced in Las Vegas next when we talk with Allison Freed, a CES spokesperson. It's 931 at KMOX. And welcome back. This is KMOX at your service. I'm Megan Lynch sitting in with you tonight. It's 935 and kicked off this morning. The Consumer Electronics Show in shorthand known as CES. It's one of the world's biggest tech trade shows featuring over 2000 vendors this year. Of course, it was the first in-person event since the start of the pandemic and um, still a big virtual component joining us to give us a preview of the, the next few days is Allison Freed. She's a spokesperson with CES. And Allison, I have to say at least one silver lining 
for me was that even though things were virtual, it actually allowed me to visit CES last year and get a preview of a lot of things. So that that hybrid component this year, I'm sure, is working well again. That was the goal, right? The goal was we obviously were living through unprecedented times, um, you know, but we, we wanted the show to be able to go on. So last year, completely virtual event. This year, we are so thrilled to be back on the ground in Las Vegas for that face-to-face interaction to bring the technology industry together. Um, but, you know, we do realize that not everyone is able to make the trip out to Las Vegas right now. Um, and so this year's event is definitely a hybrid approach. So we've got the physical booths on site, um, more than 2,200 exhibitors showcasing their products in person. But then we've also got our virtual venue set up again. Um, so you know, people that are not here in Las Vegas are able to access things like our keynote conference sessions. We expect a fair number of product announcements and launches to come through that virtual venue as well. So like you said, trying to make it as easy for anyone who's in the industry, in the field, wanting to know what's happening, the latest and greatest to be able to access that content. And if anybody can pull it off, it would be CES. A lot of us have had to deal with that this year, uh, you know, and and this going back and forth and, and having these hybrid events. Give us a sense of the complexity of that, what it was like to try to coordinate that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it had challenges and opportunities. We'll say that for sure. Um, you know, in the timing, the timing of Omicron, um, certainly you know, challenged us to innovate on the fly. Um, But, you know, we had the technology in place from last year, right? So I think that was like the perfect trial run. That, you know, we've got that going. And then we had planned, you know, to be mostly in person for this year and then needed to make a pivot uh, earlier on in December just to make sure that everyone felt safe and, and felt comfortable. You know, but the goal is to get as many people here safely. Um, So for those that are attending on site, we've got kind of a multifaceted approach to make sure that the industry can come together in a way that feels safe and comfortable. We are a fully vaccinated event. So everyone that's coming to the show floor has to show proof of vaccination. We're using the clear app so that everything is verified that way. Um, On site, everyone's been being given out testing kits. Um, So you've got two tests that you can take throughout the show. We're asking people that 24 hours before they come to a CES venue that they test. Um, The state of Nevada has a mandatory masking policy for all indoor spaces. So CES is masked. We've got got health monitors walking the show floor for anyone who's having any issues with their masking, Um, you know, to to help them out, hand out masks, answer any questions. Um, And then, and then physically, on the show floor, you know, we've got less exhibitors for sure. We've got 2,200 down from about, you know, 4,000 in years past. So that frees up some space to make sure that we've got social distancing in place. Things like wider aisles, um, areas that have traditionally had higher pedestrian traffic are transitioning into one-way traffic flows. Um, So lots of our operations team has been incredible in, in trying to work magic um so that everything is safe comfortable we've been consulting with health experts in nevada and around the world frankly um just to get their take and make sure that we are we are being as safe and responsible as possible 
Well, speaking of COVID, I remember last year when I was watching the releases come through and and watching some of the rollouts of technology, COVID was big. There was a lot of technology related to um, detecting the coronavirus or detecting symptoms in in maybe a business setting or a, a large setting with temperature monitors and things of that nature. Are we still seeing quite a bit of that kind of tech rollout this year? Yes, absolutely. And I think kind of across the board, digital health is a big story at CES this year and how it's, how it's empowering everyday people um, to take control of their own health. So, you know, we've, we're seeing telemedicine, we're seeing remote patient monitoring, uh, connected devices across the board. But I've heard we've got more than 20 companies on the show floor specifically with technologies focused on getting us around the pandemic or combating COVID, um, you know, like you've, you mentioned before, it's air purifying systems, um, detecting disease in the air. There's a breathalyzer that can detect COVID, um, specialized masks. So it's definitely front and center. I I wouldn't say front and center, but it's definitely a, a prevalent theme throughout the show is that digital health footprint and, you know, and what, companies in the industry are doing to get us hopefully back to living a normal life um, soon, sooner rather than later. But the tech industry is coming together, bringing the brilliant minds um, and trying to figure this out. Allison, I think for a lot of people, what they want to hear is maybe what's coming for the average consumer, the home. What are the biggest trends you're seeing in that area of tech? Yeah, so smart home technology is a big area, and I think it's, you know, tech companies have, you can't ignore the fact that we've all spent the better part of two years in our houses, right? And so what what is being done to make life a little bit easier? What I'm seeing, and I, and I you know, the show is op- open today, so I got to explore a little bit more, but there's a lot in the way of um, combining your home with, with mental health and making sure that you are feeling comfortable and ready to face the day in your home. So, um, you know, a lot of sensor technology in terms of monitoring what times of day you might be feeling the most stressed and altering the lighting in your living space to bring you down to like homeostasis, um, essential oils being pumped in through air filtration systems in the home, again, to make sure that you're breathing clean, pure air, but then, you know, do you need to be invigorated? Do you need to be calmed? Those kind of scents coming in. Um, I saw kind of the smart light bulb kit where you've got stands in the home. This this is more of like an energy saving thing. Um, And you can take the light bulb with you. Like it's a magnet that attaches to the electricity source. So kind of room to room, this light bulb floats and you, you, go to the next station and you just pop it in and it magnetizes, it goes up. All kinds of crazy, cool new things um, as far as the home because we've been all spending a lot of time in the home. Hopefully that's on on the way to changing, but um, but for sure, smart home technology on the floor at CES 2022. And we'll take you back to the floor of CES 2022. That's Allison Freed joining us tonight on KMOX. We'll ha- talk with her more after this break. I'm Megan Lynch. Thank you for joining me tonight. We are back with Allison Freed, a spokesperson for the Consumer Electronics Show. And of course, the CES is back in person this year in Las Vegas. 
it's always so fun to see some of the things that that are out. One of the articles I read was talking about a smart faucet that's out there that you can just do hand gestures and it'll stop and start the flow of water. And I guess you can control the temperature as well. Um, You know, things that we just would not have imagined um, and that maybe people didn't know they wanted or needed. Yes, exactly. And I, I'm so glad you said that because I actually had an opportunity to interact with that faucet this morning. Right. Like, how would you ever think you needed this? But it also has settings on it. So, um, you know, the coffee pot setting or, you know, my my, my favorite water bottle setting that y- you program it to know that hand motion. So if you if a snap is what you decide you want to be your coffee pot, all you have to do is snap in front of your faucet. It knows exactly how to fill your coffee pot, so you do not ever have to touch it. And same thing, yeah, you can wave in motion for temperature control, pressure control, and obviously on and off. So, yeah. And, yeah, smart sprinklers were another thing on the home now that I'm thinking about it. Um, where, you know, they can it can sense when your grass needs to be watered, when it doesn't need to be watered. So if it's rained, you know, you're not, you're saving water and conserving energy um, because the sprinklers know that they don't need to come on on that particular day. We're talking with Allison Freed. She is with CES, and we're talking about, of course, the the biggest tech show uh, around the world, looking at things that are coming out uh, in the technology world. You know, you think that they can't improve, like, things like TVs anymore, but we always get a new round of things like TVs and laptops every time. What's some of the cutting-edge technology that we're seeing there this year? So Samsung held their press conference last night, and they've got some really cool things coming down the line. They've got a 65-inch QD OLED TV, and what QD stands for is Quantum Dot, which is essentially a pixel within a pixel. So if you think about the clarity that that's going to bring combined with that OLED technology, which is famed for the blackest of black, um, the picture quality is just out of this world. And the fact that they've got it on the 65-inch screen is pretty fantastic. Um, Samsung also out with a new phone, the Galaxy 21 S with all kinds of incredible camera features going on. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the hardware story is definitely here. Samsung, Sony, Panasonic, um, all in with lots of really cool display technologies. So let's look kind of out of this world or emerging technologies. You know, what are we seeing as far as robotics or AI, things of that nature that are, are really maybe putting us into the bounds of the future? Yes, absolutely. So there's a deeper AI integration story going on here with wider applications across the board. Um, We're seeing things, seeing kind of very, a lot of like human interaction, robotics with natural language processing being a theme, Um, computer vision where they're, you know, fully able to see what's happening and respond to the environment around them, and then machine learning continuing to improve. Um, I, I haven't seen it in person, but uh, a video of, uh, you know, these conversational AI humans, we're getting close, we're getting closer to that, um, where it's, it's, you know, it's a robot and it makes facial expressions and smiles and can respond to emotion, and it looks wildly realistic. Um, so we've got, yeah, so we've got the conversational humans, autonomous systems, and then 
kind of on the heels of that, um, AI in the, and I guess this goes back to the home, AI in the kitchen, there's an exhibitor here called Beyond Honeycomb, and they are in, I put them in the food technology category, they have a completely AI-powered robotic kitchen um, that's claimed to fame is to be able to recreate chef-created cuisine. So you can, you can go to a restaurant, um, bring that dish home, and their AI technology can sample the food, know, you know what are the ingredients that go into this, how is the recipe made, and then their robotic technology will recreate the meal for you. So that is something I have got to see. I plan fully on walking myself over there and experiencing this in person. Um, because cooking dinner is one of my least favorite things to do. And turns out you have to do it every single day of the week. So if I could have a robot in my kitchen making me dinner, I, I'm going to be a much happier camper. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking that might be a worthwhile investment no matter how much that would cost. That's amazing. Right? Exactly. Exactly. What's the value of my time? <laughs> Well, Allison, I really appreciate you taking the time to give us just a, a sneak peek because I know what there are over 2,000 exhibitors at the Consumer Electronics Show this year. Right, yeah, we've got right about 2,200 exhibitors on the show floor um, and we're expecting tens of thousands of attendees from about 160 countries to come here, experience all the technology to talk about innovation uh, and move the industry forward. If our listeners want to check in online and just see some of the highlights, uh, where can they go to find that? Yes, absolutely. Go to ces.tech. We've got a listing of all the exhibitors there. They can see conference sessions, keynotes, um, hot products are, are listed out there. So ces.tech is the best place to follow the show as we, as we head into this week. So the show will run uh, today, January 5th through Friday, January 7th. Allison, thanks so much for your time. Have fun. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Wish you were here. I do, too. I do, too. I'll have to just check it out virtually, though. That's Allison Freed. She is joining us from CES. You have a great night. Thank you. You, too. One of these days, I am going to get there. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? I really want to see the smart bird feeder, though. It's the Bird Buddy. $200 camera-enabled bird feeder and apparently, um, you connect it to your Wi-Fi network. It'll capture photos and videos of visiting birds and then streams live to an app on your phone. So I think that one is pretty cool. Also, there's a smart bathtub. Now, I don't really, I, I'm a shower gal. That's probably too much information. But you can program this thing, apparently, to fill the tub for you when you want it, how much water you want in it, what temperature you want. Um, so I suppose, like, if you have kids that like to take baths, you can set it so it automatically fills it for them. That would be pretty cool, but that's uh, it's $2,700. That strikes me as a, as a lot for a bathtub. Um, guess what? Now you can identify your dog by their nose prints. This is another thing being rolled out at the Consumer Electronics Show. Instead of using a chip, I guess it's like a fingerprint, a dog's nose print. Who knew? I had no idea. A um, lot of things. And a temporary tattoo printer. That definitely is a must. Dehumidifier earbuds. I'd like to hear more about those. 
So, yeah, cestech.com. Thank you so much, Allison, for joining us tonight. And thank you for joining us here on KMOX. If you've missed any of tonight's show, you can go to KMOX.com, check out our podcast page and look for At Your Service, or you can go to the Odyssey app and use the rewind function for KMOX, and you can rewind any of the last 24 hours, for that matter, of KMOX. Coming up next, the best of the Dave Glover Show on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.